My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hi everyone, with us today we have Dr. Philip Jamo, who is a consultant ENT head and neck surgeon. Thank you for joining us, Philip. You're welcome. Can you tell us a bit about your journey from medical student to where you are now? So I was a, a, a rural um, high school student and then uh, got into Monash University um, and, uh, and studied the six years of medicine at Monash University. It was probably in about fourth year medicine that I, I started to decide on what I enjoyed and what I liked and, and surgery was what I was interested in. And, and even then, probably fourth or fifth year, spending some time in the outpatients, I was starting to get a bit, bit interested in e-nose and throat surgery, which is probably earlier than most. Um, you know, starting to, to think about what subspecialties. So, um, so then I did my internship uh, at uh, um, Monash Health, and I started to focus on because they had a lot of it's a big ENT unit here. So, um, each year of my residency then was uh, was doing uh, ENT jobs and and sort of focuses on. I did did three years of residency and then a, a non accredited registrar year, and then um, got into e nose and throat surgery, which was four years then. And what was it about ENT in particular that drew you to that particular specialty? Um, so I like surgery. I like the hands-on of surgery. And I like the diversity of ear, nose and throat surgery. We see um, older people with head and neck cancers. Um, we see, you know, all walks of life with sinus work and um, where I work as well, a lot of ear work, as well as pediatrics and a lot of more cutting-edge technologies with, with bionics and implantable hearing aid devices and with laser work and... Um, so a lot of diversity of the work and also it's quite a, it's an isolated area as insofar as, um, you know, it, it's only ENTs doing that sort of work. So we don't have a lot of overlap with other specialties. So there's not much sort of territory dispute about who's doing what, which there can be in other specialties. Mm-hmm. And at any point, were you considering any other specialties? Studying to get into ENT and when doing other other jobs, you, you have to do, you know, other jobs such as, you know, plastics and and cardiothoracics and an ICU and that sort of thing just to fulfill the requirements um, so they're all interesting but I was quite focused on ENT and and I don't regret it um, um, but you know there, there, there are other you know really enjoyable jobs and things and you focus early on just about what the job offers but I think as you as time goes by you you think a lot more about what your patient base is and what that that life of doing that specialty offers as well. It's not just what operations you do and whether you find them interesting or not. And you kind of touched on the patient base already. Do you mind expanding a little bit on that? So patient base for ENT, we do a lot of pediatrics and I have a a large practice in in Cairns in North Queensland where I spend seven weeks and then one week out of the two months I come down to Monash and I just do public work at Monash Health, um, which is primarily um, rhinology and particularly um, rhinoplasty and nasal reconstructive work. And um, so in, in Cairns, I have a generalist practice, which is which is a lot of paediatrics and a lot of ear disease and, and rhinology, nasal disease. Um, I don't do, we don't do head and neck in Cairns, so I, I do diagnostics, but I don't do the surgery for it. Um, 
And so for a busy ENT practice, city or country, a large part, you know, 40, 50% is often paediatrics and, you know, that's, that's your classic sort of ENT, tonsils, grommets, adenoids type work in children. There's a lot of that. And what uh, made you go to Cairns? Are you originally from Cairns? Or no, what? no, I'm I'm from rural Victoria. So I grew up yeah. um, grew up down in Phillip Island um, in South Gippsland, and um, and came to the city to go to university. And so always liked a, a country outdoors sort of life, and to have a bit of land and grow up on a bit of land. And um, you know, I enjoy city life and visiting city life, but I don't know if I enjoy it all the time. And so I like the prospect of moving somewhere and working on establishing more of a, a service, an ear, nose and throat service. Yeah, and can you tell, talk to us about the differences between Cairns Health and Victorian Health and the difference in the job that you do as an ENT surgeon up there versus down here? Probably the, the two biggest things that define that would be the climate, as in we're going from the, the, one of the warmest, most tropical areas of, of Australia and one of the other things then would be the remoteness and um, and that there you don't have many many peers there or peer support um, and so over time there's there's been you know one or two and sometimes four but not very many you know and throat surgeons some coming and going just getting their qualifications going some just doing a bit of time there and so having that on the ground um, base all the time to offer support is difficult even to manage the patient load, not necessarily professional support, but even just to manage the, the caseload. The drainage for our area is about 350,000 people. And if you're going to have an ENT surgeon for, you know, on average sort of one in 30,000 people, we could certainly deal with 10 surgeons, not really two or three. Um, and so it, it can be overwhelming the caseload at times. Um, the, the other differences in regard to it being tropical is that we see tropical and remote and um, you know, there's a lot of, um, we have a large indigenous population, we have a lot of tourists and we have a lot of diving and water sports and people flying in, flying out. So you do see a lot more ear disease and barotrauma and, and sinus disease, fungal disease, um, unusual tropical diseases, far more than you would in the city. And what drew you to that particular area as opposed to, say, Western Australia or anywhere else in Australia? During my registrar years, I, I sort of travelled around a little bit and did one particular trip where I went to, to Darwin and then and spent a week there and went to then went to Cairns and spent a week there. And I don't know why quite remote appealed to me at the time, um, but it did. And um, Darwin, I went in December and it was it was crazy hot and I couldn't. And then I went to Cairns and I think they had quite a um, unseasonally cool week. And so I thought, oh, this is fantastic and. Um, and so became more focused on Cairns, but um, certainly it gets incredibly hot in Cairns as well mm-hmm. as it is at the moment. Yeah. How does the travel impact you? With is work it... back and forwards each yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. So I do, do I do one in eight where I spend a whole week down here, and my family come down as well, and we have a house here, and so that's it's we sort of see it as a as a week out where yes I'm working all week, but it's an easier week. It's a public week. It's not you know full on private and where you're managing things after hours and that sort of thing. So it's really just a teaching week for me. Um, because I do a lot of rhinoplasty, then I'm often doing the operations or heavily involved in the teaching. I'm not sort of taking a backseat as you would with easier cases. Um, but so we all come down and we look at it as a bit of a break and we like to come down. So that's that's good. And in between, when and, and the, 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 the fourth week in between, I come down just for a day to do a clinic as well. Okay. Um, but the, I just do a bit of admin on the plane and it's just a day out and I'm back by the evening. It's fine. Yep. Uh, 
Can you tell us a bit about your specialty and what your typical day, maybe in Cairns um, and maybe one day in the public involves? So in Cairns, I do public and private there as well. Um, so there's a public hospital and private hospital. So I do, um, over time it's changed, but at the moment, every, every second week, I do a full day operating in the public hospital. Um, I do two, two and a half days a week um, private um, operating as well. And the rest of the time I do private consulting, which would generally be two full days private mm-hmm. consulting. And how much of your time is spent doing non-clinical work? Uh, it'd be it'd be after hours and it'd be probably two to three hours a week at my stage that would be you know being you know i'm 10 12 years out as a consultant um and i'm i'm i enjoy systems and the business of 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 practice and so i work a lot on systems and there were times when i was doing 25 hours a week of admin to get things in order and staff in order and equipment and leases and loans and buildings and all those things Mm -hmm. so um, I've strived towards it being two hours a week um, by putting that in place. It, uh, there's a lot of times when you know that might be more than that and it might be zero as well at some times. Yeah. In terms of the uh, operations that you're doing, can you talk to us what are the most common ones that you're doing? What are the least common ones and the most interesting ones that you do? Um, the most common ones would certainly just be your bread and butter, um, ear, nose and throat surgery. So grommets, tonsils, basic nasal work, straightening septums and trimming turbinate pads to help with nasal airway. And, and nationwide, that'd be common for all ear, nose and throat surgeons. Um, my least common, or well, I don't do head and neck cancer. I did when I was down here and, and I've done the odd one when I started up there, but we just don't have the infrastructure in Cairns to be able to do that and the funding. So I don't do those at all now. So... Um, it's a big part of our specialties, you know, laryngectomies, neck dissections. I do do parotids and salivary gland surgery. I don't do thyroids. Um, but I, my area of interest was initially when I went to Cairns, actually ear disease, and I did that for a long time. And you know, it's certainly a good area to do a lot of ear surgery because we have a huge base for that, a lot of complex ears. Um, so I still enjoy that. and then, But I, I also enjoy um, nasal reconstructive work. I find it it's a very, very technically demanding and difficult specialty and it's really challenging. And you know, even after years of doing it now, it's always challenging. Every case poses challenges and, and it's a unique and difficult, even patient base. And a lot of that's revision work and that sort of thing. So I, I find that challenging. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. Can you talk to us about the breadth of work that an ENT surgeon has? Because obviously you're working in a few different structures. And how does that play into the work? It is a bit unique, ENT, insofar as you have to learn the physiology of quite a few areas. And even though it's only clavicles up, it is, you know, the, the, the physiology of voice and of smell and of taste and of, and of hearing and of sinus function. And you know, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, some interact and some don't. Some are isolated areas. Um, um, as well as, you know, having, having the ability to have, to be used to dealing with, with parents and children and babies and neonates as well as elderly people. And there's quite a breadth of ages that you deal with, which is, which is a great variety. And, um, and, you know, the surgeries, studying the surgeries is interesting because of that breadth. And, you know, no one in ENT would be, you know, calling yourself a generalist is quite interesting because you are, you know, if you're a generalist in some other specialties, it means you do you know, two operations rather than one. Well, we, you know, we have quite a variety of operations. Mm-hmm. And to be good at them, it takes a long time. It's a, they're complex operations. 
besides <clears throat> helping patients with their inners and throat problems and I guess uh, helping them relieve their symptoms, what's the most rewarding part about your specialty? What do you enjoy about it the most? I think an important thing to take home from being a doctor and being a consultant is is not necessarily the problems that you're fixing and a lot of that is to try and um, take something from the interactions that you have every day and if you're just turning up at the office and, and you know smashing through 50 patients a day and going home and that's your reward, that's not for, we're going to be rewarding for very long and you need to be, you know, you need to be getting something just a little bit from some of those interactions and look forward to your day and, you know, look forward to seeing those patients come back better, worse, different, their lives changed, kids grow up. You know, it, it's, it's interesting and you need, to, you need to feel as though you're contributing to those people's lives and not each and every one, but at least at the end of the day to have taken something from it because that's what, that's what gets you through life is that interaction. And sure, you might be removing a tonsil or helping a child's hearing and that sort of thing, but it's, it's the, seeing the growth and the change that makes it rewarding. Otherwise, working hard all the time just becomes exhausting. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's that... It's it's living the life that is that is being a surgeon or a, or a physician or whatever. It's it's enjoying all that. Otherwise, it, everything becomes a bit boring after a while. It can be really challenging surgery. It can be really difficult. But in the end, if you do it for long enough, it still becomes mundane if you don't take something from from the people and the interaction. And so for you, it's that kind of growing up and seeing them develop and whatnot. Well, yeah, I, I, you know that's that's an important element of what you do. Yeah. yeah. And conversely, what aspect of your job do you struggle with the most? Hospital administration. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you've got a vision of something and you, and as a doctor, your vision's often very um, patient outcome based and best practice based. And um, and when you've got to face the realities of, of, you know, limited finances and that sort of thing. And, you know, then and, and sometimes the people that are controlling the finances don't necessarily have the the, the experience or the, the 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 same direction or same interest in in patient outcomes sometimes they're just you know counting budgets and things like that then that can become you know the reality is that can become a bit you know, you can become a bit i don't know disillusioned with that yeah, and and the, in a small area, maybe you're exposed to that, you know, earlier than you would be in a big city where you're just doing really a clinician's job, and maybe your head of units more exposed to that. But in a small area, you're exposed to that quite a lot, and where you've got a vision for improving services or changing things, and you know, based on on trying to provide deliver to a, a greater population or a better quality service, sometimes that can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of an indication of how popular ENT is and what kind of time frames for getting into a program are? Um, certainly when I went through ENT was really popular and and um, it was state-based then. Um, and so when I got in from Victoria, there was only two trainees that got in um, out, out of the state. Um, and now it's a, it's a national selection program, although you can certainly... Um, nominate which state you'd like to stay in um, and sometimes if there's not enough in that state you might go somewhere else for a year and come back or and the numbers too is certainly a small number um, the numbers are, are generally more than that but they certainly don't exceed you know for five or six most years that would be a bit of a boon year for a state and maybe nationally you'd be looking at 11 or 12 jobs something like that nationally that come up so it's not there's not a lot of jobs 
but and I can't comment on the competitiveness of other specialties, but certainly NT as a surgical specialty is a competitive one. Um, but then so is plastics and, and orthopedics and things are too, but there's just a lot more jobs for orthopedics generally than then your nose and throat will generally have one or two jobs per hospital. Yeah. Monash is a, is, a, is a huge network in that we've got six jobs here. Um, but, um, but yeah, most are only one or two. And so even the jobs you have, they're busy jobs. And so once you come out the other end, is it, are you able to get a job quite readily or is it a bit of hard work? Yeah, so, so when, you, when you finish your training, which is five years now, once you're a, a, an accredited registrar, um, then a lot of people will um, go on and do a fellowship year overseas, which is in an area of particular area of their interest, um, and that may help them work in a particular subspecialist area. And all specialties are heading that way now. Everyone's, everyone has a, you know, generalists now still exist, but most people have a particular subspecialist area where, you know, that's where they that's where they do a bit more training and you get a bit more exposure and keep a bit more up to date. And that does help you get jobs in tertiary centres now as well, mm-hmm. just like with physicians. And and how do you see the field changing in the next, say, ten years? Um, I think there'll be there'll be that subspecialist fellowship training that I spoke about. I think will be you know more common. I think there'll be a lot more people that don't do the breadth of the specialty. They do just select areas, and the startup for the specialty, as in how long it takes you to be established. Mm-hmm will just take longer because it's, it's more competitive. There's a, there's a, um, you know, there's less of a base or a practice base for you when you're very narrow in your field and it takes you longer to establish a reputation than if you've got a, a narrower scope of practice. Um, I, I think there'll be a lot more regulation on what we do and a lot more, um, you know, requirements on our upkeep of education and maintenance of standards, which is, which is good. Is there a particular aspect of ENT which isn't really widely known or publicised or, I guess, uh, thought about that people should consider when if considering ENT? It's hard to know not being outside of That's the true. practice yeah. to know what's what's not thought about and what's not popular. There's... I guess with regards to if people have approached you regarding ENT previously and you've kind of told them something that might have caught them off guard or anything like that? No, not particularly? No, not particularly, right. sorry. Okay. And if I was looking to get into ENT myself, how might I make myself a more desirable candidate? Beside the normal attributes of, you know, being enthusiastic and mm-hmm. motivated and hardworking and humble and all that normal stuff that you would do no matter what you want to do in life, um, the things would be to to um, sort of seek seek some sort of mentorship or, you know, show interest in some research try and do your junior jobs in an ENT job or two or three and during that time um, try and do some research for the sake of the fact that publication helps with your points on your CV and CV and selections for interviews to get in are all, are all points based so you need a certain number of points to, to get in but also um, that, that gives you contact time with your referees and mentors and you know there are you know referee allocation as well to get in and so um, you know, you do have to make yourself known and be known that you're enthusiastic and work really hard and dedicate some time just to that that race and scramble of getting in and getting an interview. And it varies from year to year, but generally they're, they're sort of interviewing three or four times more people than will get a job. Yeah. But to even get an interview is quite a, a difficult thing now. So, mm-hmm. 
people are people are starting that race to bolster their CV and get those points from a very early start as right, from an yeah. intern. Yeah. yeah. Let's change tact a little bit. Um, how many hours are you saying you work, you'd work in an average week? Probably, probably. 45 50 okay. yeah not a big week I, i'm i'm exposed to being on call and that sort of thing nearly all the time being a, a private practitioner and also being um sort of a, a phone call away as support for the public hospital and that sort of thing so um that's always the case i don't really ever have time off from that yeah. um even this week down here if there's problems with my patients then people ring up and i manage on the phone or i that sort of thing mm-hmm. Um, but as far as contact hours, consulting, operating, yeah, probably 45, 50 hours. And how would you uh, comment on your work-life balance? What do you think of your work-life balance? Um, I think mine's good. Um, I structure my life with Cairns and Melbourne to achieve a work-life balance. I'm not particularly focused on a, you know, a um, more ambitious career in within my specialty. I'm... I don't wish to move up any sort of um, administrative ladder or in within the college or within the hospital. I um, I like operating and probably my ambitions in life are outside of my specialty. I um, I enjoy the operating and I have areas where I wish to develop and get better and and but but a lot of my um, life goals are more outside of the specialty now with with um you know i've got two young children and spending time with them and i do a lot of mountain bike riding and racing and a bit overseas and in australia and that's something i really enjoy i do a lot of fitness stuff and that's part of the well that's a big part of the motivation to living rurally is not is to is to be not spending two hours a day on the road or not leaving in the dark getting home in the dark seeing my children only on the weekends being able to you know go for a ride with colleagues every day after work or early in the morning and that's something that i achieve you know every day every week and that's that's important to me um i'm I'm happy to do a few hours less work or earn a bit less money to achieve that and at what point in your career were you able to have this kind of flexibility which allows you to do all this um once you specialize then then really those decisions are up to you where you want to go how you want to structure life what how many days or not you want to work um you need to think about it early on because once you commit to a lot of hours and a lot of time it's quite hard to peg back actually once you've made that commitment so it's much easier to start a bit slower and rest and recuperate a bit from the years of specialist training before ramping it up um, or taking a break or whatever um, because yeah, once you're committed to five and a half days a week, then it's hard to pe- to peg that back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can you can make life whatever you want it to be. You just have to be committed to the goal and have a clear vision of of what that is you want. Otherwise, if you just sort of wander through life, then it'll just throw whatever it wants at you. Yeah. And and you're always having to you know there's always other opportunities come up, and you're always having to either say no or grab an opportunity and that sort of thing. So. You mentioned that you do are on call um, a lot of the time, given that you have a lot of private patients. Are there many ENT um, emergencies which require you to go in outside of hours or drop everything that you're doing and rush in? So my on call is pretty good in, in so far as because it's private on call, you know the patients well, and you know if you're going in, then you've generally something's bleeding or there's a problem. So really, you, you shouldn't be doing that too much for all things. Um, if it's uh, if you're on call for the hospital for emergencies, then the, the things that are you know ENT has quite a bit of on call for that, and we certainly with pediatrics and we do pediatric airway and foreign bodies and airway trauma and you know if, you know, 
kids fallen over and and scratched their mouth or you know evolved a tonsil with their toothbrush or got inhaled a a, a a peanut or got a coin caught in their esophagus or any of these sort of ear injuries nasal injuries you know we've we bleeding or airway problems batteries in airways particularly or, or all, they're all dire emergencies and you need to be in and that that's a that's a sort of paramount importance those cases if someone's had surgery and children a child's had surgery and they've got a bleeding tonsil or something like that then they're all emergencies and you need to be in for those and then there are a lot of other things that you may just do you know phone advice and manage the following day but because we do pediatrics a lot of pediatric airway things are emergencies mm-hmm. and in terms of the outcomes of a lot of your surgeries uh, a lot of the surgeries extremely successful with minimal um i guess complication rates or given that it is a lot of microstructures and whatnot no ent is a really nice specialty in so far as you know we we have we have good outcomes from surgery a lot of our surgeries are you know quality of life operations blocked nose can't hear sleeping snoring um and so you know we can address these and the surgeries aren't too traumatic and they do make a difference and you know the better you're at them the bigger difference you can make and it's nice to do some quality of life work as well as there's you know head and neck cancer work and head and neck surgery involves a lot of cancer work as well so some of those don't have good prognosis some of them have better prognosis so you can mix and match your your, your balance as much as you like but um it's especially i enjoy working with children and it's nice to work with children in regard to you know tonsils adenoids grommets and a lot of the ear, the, a lot of the ear work and stuff we do in children it it makes a difference they can hear it improves their, their quality of life and their their life outcomes and you're not having to necessarily um you know you give parents dire diagnoses or you know horrible outcomes for children and you know th- those jobs are you know they're important roles it's just you know i would find that personally a bit hard to, to face up to every day to do pediatric oncology every day and you know, I admire people that can but I, I couldn't do that all the time so um, I, I quite like having a large pediatric population that I don't have to do that for a lot. Wonderful. Uh, last couple of questions. What would you have wanted to know about ENT um, prior to getting into the program? Is there something that you've learnt about it now that you kind of would have wanted to have known? Maybe with regards to the work or the patients or the workload or anything like that? I think with any specialty when you're deciding on what specialty to do you shouldn't just think about the operations that you do and whether you like that sort of operation because given enough time and not even that much time that doesn't become the most important factor and you do that a lot in your training and you really don't think about it much as a when you're doing your specialist training because you're just enjoying the learning experience and trying to be the best you can but you do need to think about the patient base you have what those patients outcomes are and whether you can generally achieve good outcomes for your specialty um, whether you really like working with the demographic of of what that specialty offers excuse me whether whether you you like the lifestyle of of running an office and needing staff and running rooms and doing dictation and all that sort of thing or whether you'd rather um, have a more flexible life as in emergency or anesthetics or where you can take time off come back be busy again have a, a much more flexible lifestyle whether you want to be you know forking out large sums for equipment in your rooms and all that sort of thing it can, can be it can be a lot more and it needs to be a lot more once you finish than just doing the operations 
and sometimes the headache of that can detract from what initially attracted you to the specialty and they're the realities of it you can't end up practicing without that equipment without that patient base without the staff without the nights of dictation without the so you need to be aware of that and whether you're going to like that because it's a shame if you go through all that and in the end just change course because it wasn't for you um because the operations are the least of it yeah, that kind of I guess answers my next question, which was, what advice would you give to junior doctors or interns? Is there anything, any other piece of advice that you'd give about just general work? No, I think just that, and I think just just keeping a, a focus on the big picture of what you do, and it's very easy to feel you're in this, you know, high pressure rut when you're in the hospital, and all you see are sick people and doctors and a career ahead of you, and it's very important to be focused on that at that time because. You know, it's a real it's a real race to, for everyone to you know get their CVs in order and get points. And but you need to enjoy that process. And if you choose something that's right for you, I think you will enjoy that process um, and enjoy life along the way. And you know, you, a lot of people just go hard until they're finished, and suddenly they put their head up and they're thirty five and they're not really sure who they are or what they ever wanted to do. And so it's it's important to just you know be cognizant of that during the journey. I think it's awesome how you get to fit in like your mountain bike riding and your traveling and whatnot with all mm. your work, and you're still I guess ticking both um, boxes in your life. It's a big juggle, especially with I've got a four year old and an eight month, nine month old, and it's a big juggle with you know, balancing all that and with travel and you know doing racing and that sort of thing. But and there are intense times, and you know I've hardly slept last night. But it's um, with, with the baby and then leaving at 4 a.m. to come down here. But it's, you know, that's okay. That's life. Lots of people don't sleep even when they're not traveling everywhere if you've got young kids. so. Um, but, you know, there's reward in doing that and you have some intensely great times. And I think for me, and maybe not for everyone, but I, I certainly, you know, life's about those, you know, short, exciting, passionate moments. And sometimes there's a lot of background in getting those moments to occur, but that's that's why you do it. Otherwise, it just all becomes a bit a bit you know boring and monotonous yeah. yeah wonderful that's all the questions i have for you thank you so much for your time pleasure good on thank you thanks that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening make sure to keep in touch with us through social media our handle is at the med collab that's t-h-e-m-e-d-c-o-l-l-a-b on facebook twitter and instagram You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. All right, guys, see you next week.